And here we are. Got kind of a cool episode for you today. You're probably going to recognize this man's voice. He's the leader when it comes to Benelli. Products, new products. What can we look forward to from the best dang shotgun manufacturer of all time? Simply perfect, Benelli. That's who's today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by check out the brand new Super Black Eagle 320 gauge. We're going to talk about that model today, plus some other important hot topics that I have for the man, the myth, Mr. George Thompson. What's up, my man? How you doing, buddy? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good out here. I'm pretty excited to hear about these new uh, topics we're going to be talking about coming don't really know what what you want to have on the agenda for today, but I'm happy to, as always, to talk about anything Benelli related, waterfowl hunting, uh, disputes about you know most athletic sport out there, whatever you want to talk about. I'm I'm here for you, buddy. Yeah, that one's a that one's pretty much a cakewalk. If you've been watching the way professional athletics are going, I tr- and this is I am not lying. I mean this. I. I tried to watch a professional soccer game about 10 days ago. There was seven, <laughs> there was literally seven flops yeah. in the two minutes that I watched this game. And I was like, and then the, what really gets me is the expressions on their faces when they get up. Like they're surprised that the whole world doesn't know that they're full of shit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I just want to, you know, I did make the argument that soccer uh, was the most best, most athletic sport once upon a time, but I don't want that to be confused as as soccer is my favorite sport because it's pretty far from it. But I do think those guys are uh, substantially more athletic than than your pastime is. Oh man, I don't, I just don't know. Like I keep watching baseball players doing the things they're doing, and it's like. They, they really are. They're on a different level of athleticism. I mean, if you if you see these guys perform, <laughs> have you seen the new video of Mike Trout hitting the golf ball over the highway just completely straight? I mean, you know how hard it is to hit a golf ball? But the, the muscle memory, the hand-eye coordination, the core strength, the balance, the, the intelligence that it takes to play baseball, the mental aptitude you have to have, the you know, the obviously the – you have to have so much focus and the the mentality of the sport is on a different level. I mean, you're, you're becoming an all-star failing 70% of the time. You can't do that in any other sport in the world. I mean, you're an all-star. Okay. So that, that shows you how hard it is. And then just do me a favor after the, the, the show today and go watch Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers pitch their closer and see if you think you could even come close to getting the bat off your shoulder. It's like your reaction time. You have no, you have no chance, George. Yeah, no, I can't. And you know what else I can't do is I can't, you know, hit an Eagle on a par five and I can't bowl a 300. And uh, you know, these are all games of skill uh, that require everything that you just talked about, except athleticism, which, you know, well, anyway. I don't know about that. Like, you got to be like, okay, look, look, bowling at 300. Here we go again. Here we go. But bowling at 300, I get it. If you practice long enough, I think you can get there, but that's really hard to do. But, but the chances and odds of you doing that are way higher than becoming a proficient baseball hitter. Scientifically proven, you can, you're, you're trying to hit a round object with a round. 
Round object with a round object at 60 feet with no reaction time. You're talking milliseconds, dude. Like it's. I'm not suggesting that I can I can hit. A I'm not talking about you personally. I know neither one of us can hit a Josh yeah. Hader fastball. I'm saying, just as a whole, baseball is the hardest sport in the world to be good at. Agree to disagree as usual. I'm telling you. <laughs> Talk to me about the. I guess we can start with the new 20 gauge, but I wanted to start. I, I got to start with this. I really have to start with this. And we've touched on this in the past and we're probably going to touch on it in the future, but we've, I've always talked to you about like, how do you better something, right? Like how do you, the mentality of going right back to R and D or design capabilities after you launch something like the super black Eagle two, when it came out, 10 years go by a full decade, and then here comes the Super Black Eagle 3. My first reaction is, why? Why? What can you do? And then all of a sudden, here I am, 18 months, 24 months into the Super Black Eagle 3, and it's a the baddest-ass gun you guys have ever built, in my opinion. Now, it's one of those ones to where you, you literally don't want to stop shooting. It's just a fun gun to shoot. Plus, every kink was worked out of... That where you could potentially ever have an issue with with a shotgun like it's it's lighter it's got a better trigger compartment it's easy loading it's got a bigger safety it doesn't have the click with the action that was taken care of with the ethos it's got a great rib on it it's it's i don't even know how to explain the way it feels in your hand except sleek and athletic um is this in your opinion your guys's best work to date Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, to your point, uh, I would have said the same thing when we launched Super Black Eagle 2. Um, I said the same thing when we launched the Vinci's and Super Vinci's, right? I mean, every new uh, product that we come out with, um, it's a requirement that it has to be better than its predecessors, right? I mean, otherwise, what's the point? Um and, you know, the, this this subject is one that, frankly, I bang my head against the desk uh, all the time with because, you know, how do you make something that is the best even better, right? And, and not just a little bit better, right? It's got to be substantial. It's got to be noticeably better. Um, it, it's got to it's add some level of performance or some feature or some benefit um, that, that answers questions out in the market, right? That, that people are saying, ah, oh, I wish it did X or, or whatever. So, you know, finding meaningful things to incorporate into gun designs to make them even better, it's, it's, uh, it's the hardest part of our job. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the luxury, the, the, the benefit of, of working with Benelli, who is the premier shotgun manufacturer in the world, and because of that, though, it, it's uh, it makes it even harder. Right. It's, I, I say this all the time. Right. How do you make a Ferrari faster? Right. How do you how do you make a Bentley nicer? It's it's pretty dang tough. Um, but, you know, we we put a ton of work into it, a ton of research. We talk to thousands of people. We get feedback. And, uh, you know, these projects essentially began the day after we launched the last project. Right. So I'm not suggesting Super Black Eagle four is anywhere on the near horizon. It's not. These things take years and years to develop. But um, you start it right away, right? Because you have to get every piece of data that you can um, to help make these decisions. It's pretty tough. When you start talking about the, 
I guess kind of like, I guess it's research and development. This would be considered or market analysis, market study, focus groups. Why do you, and obviously I'm biased on this because I'm a lefty, but I don't want you to be like, oh, you're only, you're just trying to get a gun. Like why, why do some guns fit, fit the bill and then others don't? And I know that there's part of the launch that it might just be in right-handed. And then later on down the road, you're like, okay, well, let's go into the left-handed model. Are there truly not enough left-handed consumers in the marketplace for a gun manufacturer such as yourselves, Benelli and Benelli USA to go, we're launching this in both. Like, why isn't why aren't all guns available and left-handed? Well, there's two components to that. Um, first of all, yeah, the left-handed population's relatively small. Um, it's been a couple of years since I looked at the hard data, but from memory, I, I believe it was around 10 to 15 percent of the population is left-handed. So the the base is substantially smaller. But I think perhaps even more impactful than that is the fact that the vast majority of, of left-handed shooters grew up using right-handed guns. And, and they have a uh, predisposition, if you will, um, to using a, a right-handed gun over a left-handed gun, which is kind of crazy to think about. But, um, you know, my buddy Keith, who's our Stoger product manager, he's a left-handed shooter, um, always been a left-handed shooter his whole life. Um, and... Uh, but he grew up using right-handed guns. So when you give him a true left-handed gun now, he kind of fumbles with it, right? Because he, he, he's, his muscle memory is such that, you know, he's used to using his right hand to rack the, the bolt, right? Where, you know, it's, it's, not, it's on the opposite side, the safety, you know, he's always got to be like overthinking the use of the safety because it goes the opposite direction to what he grew up using. So, I think you have two things there. Number one is that the number of left-handed people, it is a minority. It's a small minority of the population. So then, but then you even take that small minority and you have to cut it again for the people that are going to use a right-handed gun, even if there is a left-handed option. Um, and then when you do that, you see what's left is relatively small. Um, but as you know, we make more left-handed guns than anybody else in the shotgun market. And we're going to continue to do so. Um, but we have to, you know, you have to keep it somewhat more narrow than the right-handed selections, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it'd be great if we could make every flavor for every person out there, but you really just can't do that. I mean, you, 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 have, to, you have to bring some logic into it and you have to look at the numbers behind everything. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, if something just doesn't cut the mustard and doesn't get the return on the investment that's required to develop one of these guns, then maybe you don't do it, right? We we bend that rule pretty hard to make sure that we do have more left-handed guns than anyone else. But there are there are lines that we, you know, that you can't change, right? That it just doesn't make sense to do one. Um, we'll do a left-hand 20 gauge SB3 in time. Um, I'd like to say it's going to be out in 22, but it's not. Um, it's on the list um, and it'll come, but give us a little bit of time. And, 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 you know, to the audience out there and to you, I mean, I know you know this because we've talked about it before, but it's not as easy as it may seem to, to just make it left-handed, right. To, to, to put the, you know, uh, uh, ejection port on the other side of the gun to switch the safety. And, you know, you have to develop basically a new gun um, just how the way that Benelli operates is every 
every gun that they build starts as a blank piece of paper. Um, so even though we have a right-handed gun, it's not really the case of they take that gun and say, well, let's just do this the other way. It starts as a blank piece of paper and they say, okay, let's make this a left-handed gun, right? Um, they have to develop a new barrel. That's part of it, right? A new barrel extension. Um, so in some cases they need new shell latches because the shell latches on the other side of the gun and there's, you know, the receiver is different on that side of the gun. It, it's, it's a whole process. It just takes a long time. Before we leave the left-handed discussion, um, you, you talked about Keith and, and that's a great point because I grew up shooting a lot of right-handed shotguns. You as a shotgun guy, you've spent a lot of time on courses. You've sh- spent a lot of time in duck blinds, goose blinds, upland hunts, national, international. Um, but you also understand the science of shooting. You always hear, well, you don't want to do that. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on with the combu- the combustion and the powder and everything that's that, that you know, that, that goes on within a shotgun's chamber to fire you know, and get the BBs that come out of the muzzle. Is it really that dangerous, George, or that detrimental or that concerning that a right-handed or a left-handed shooter shoots a right-handed gun? Let's say they're not wearing eyewear all the time. Let's say that they are used to it and they can handle it very good, but isn't it much better to teach a dog, an old dog new tricks for the long run? Is it going to end up taking its toll on anything or is it not really that concerning? And I'm, and I'm talking about the vision. I'm talking about the safety aspects of your life because it's easy to say, oh, this shotgun's not messing with my hearing or my vision. And then we get 25 years into our shooting career and you're like, oh man, I wish I'd have listened to my dad and put headphones on, right? Is there anything that, that we should be concerned about shooting a right-handed gun as a lefty and vice versa? And that's a good question. And, uh, you know, being the manufacturer, I need to be kind of careful on how I answer that, of course. Um, You know, obviously, we're always going to highly recommend that you use proper eye and ear protection. um, And doing so mitigates some of that risk that you're referring to. Um, Because, you know, the the initial concern that I would comes to my mind is the unburnt powder that exits through the ejection port. you know, it's not, it's not a lot, um, but it does happen. Um, and perhaps even more potentially um, hazardous to your vision is, is if you over oil the gun, then you're going to have hot oil coming out of that ejection port and towards your eye. Um, Cause we're talking about a left-handed person shooting a right-handed gun. So, you know, wearing eye protection obviously mitigates that, you know, it's not good. You're going to get it on your, potentially on your face or on your, you know, clothing or what have you, but it's not going to necessarily hurt you um, as long as you got good eye protection on. As far as like a catastrophic failure, you know, if the gun is going to, let's say you you have a stuffed wad and you, you shoot a couple more shells into it or something like that, typically that's going to happen f- far enough down the gun to where it doesn't really matter what shoulder it's on. Um, you know, that'll be past the chamber. Um, it'll be in the barrel somewhere that you have a catastrophic failure. Um, and in that case, it doesn't really matter whether you're shooting it from the right or left side. So, you know, uh, I would say, you know, everybody should wear eye and ear protection um, every time you shoot any firearm. Um, but I would say left-handed shooters using right-handed guns 
are really kind of foolish to not have at least eye protection on. Um, not, it's not, we have to recommend it, right? But you're really making a mistake if you don't have eye protection on and you're shooting the uh, 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 right-handed gun from the left side. It's just not a smart move. So I, I don't know what more I can say about it than that. Um, no, it makes sense. Cause I've always been, I've always, my vision is everything and uh, you can't slow down the hands of time. And I've learned this. I'm in my mid forties now. And um, as much as you want to say that you stay on top of your game, there's a reason why we stop doing things at this age that we were able to do a lot easier, whether it's wakeboarding or water skiing or cliff jumping or baseball players retire, football players are retired and they're in the hall of fame by the time they're 40. I mean, there's no doubt like Tom Brady's, you know, he's a phenomenon, right? Playing a starting quarterback position at 42 years old or whatever. But I'm not saying that I can't go and do these things, but I look at it more of like, well, am I speeding up the process by continuing to do things like that? Like I want my vision to be tw- perfect. I want to go out and see the majesty of duck hunting the way it's intended. Just age alone takes its toll on hearing, vision, you're able to pick up an object, your depth perception, all of that stuff starts to change. So I'm just looking at it like if you really want to extend your career, why not look into doing it, you know, safety wise? And if you're going to continue down that path of the right-handed gun as a left-handed shooter, because of what you're saying, the muscle memory, I, 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 I've been in photo shoots, you know, where somebody will be like, uh, here's a great example. Like, I think it was the, when the Super Black Eagle 3 was first coming out, there wasn't a lefty in the States, and y'all sent me one to get some timber shots down in Arkansas. And Jared sent me, <clears throat> excuse me, a Max 5 bottle. I felt like an idiot. The, the guys, the camera guys are like, okay, go. And then I would be, I'd be fumbling it because it was a right-handed gun, and I was, I'm all lefty now, right? So the safety's backwards to everything. So I, I understand what you're saying with that, but... It's it's one of those things to where I've never even given that one ounce of thought when I get into my little baby mode of like, I'm a spoiled baby. I need a lefty, right? Well, the market says, <laughs> the market says you got to cut the leaving the lefty population down, maybe even in half, because you're not going to change that mentality of them going up to that gun counter at their retailer and going, okay, I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years, but today I'm going to just buy a left-handed shotgun for $2,000 and hope that everything goes well with it. You know, that's the odds of that happening are probably not very good. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So moving on, let's go in to the gun you just mentioned that will go to lefty, but not in 2022. Is it the exact same? Obviously it's different gauge, but is it the exact same as the original Super Black Eagle three when it came out twenty four months ago, uh, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, yes. Um, there's uh, some slightly different materials used um, because you don't need the the three and a half inch you know strength, um, but you know the functionality of it, the 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 specifications as far as minimum loads and and all of these things, it is ex- exactly the same. It's just scaled down, you know, proportionately to be a 20 gauge. So it's shorter, thinner, it's lighter, um, the hole in the barrel smaller, you know, all of these things. Um, but, you know, if you were to take the gun apart and compare the internal pieces to the three and a half inch gun, you'd see they're the same, um, just smaller. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the same gun. Um, uh, and that's, that was the objective is to, it was to make the, 
make a smaller version of the of the three and a half inch Super Black Eagle three. I mean, this is uh this is kind of goes into what we started talking about, right? Where it's the best gun we have. Um, uh, it's new. We just launched it. Uh, we don't have anything better in uh, in the way of technologies or features or benefits. Um, so it was really just a matter of making the exact same thing, but smaller. When you start, tell me your mentality on this, George Thompson, on the evolution of shot and where science has taken ammo, choke tubes, sights, patterning systems, um, shooting turkeys at 70 yards with a 410 now. I mean, this is crazy times, right, to be a shotgunner. Like, your whole life you grow up and you're like, well, a 20 gauge is meant for a kid. You know, you go from a 410, then you graduate to a 20, and then you graduate to the 12. And then back in the day, there was obviously the 10, which we don't have to really worry about that anymore. But do you see a shift, George, in your market analysis and and studies that – this new ammo craze with the TSSs and companies like Federal Premium, a partner, both of ours, continue to push the envelope and, and break rules, right, when it comes to the performance specifications of the ammunition. Does this, is the shotgun market changing? Are guys my age going, you know what? I don't need to beat my shoulder up anymore. I can kill a mallard duck, no problem with a little light 20-gauge or a chucker partridge or a pheasant in South Dakota. Or is it still that oh, no, I'm going with the three-and-a-half-inch chamber 12-gauge when I go on my Canada goose hunt because I still don't – I haven't gotten that in my mindset that the 20-gauge can handle it. You know, I think it's all of those things, Chad. Um, I, I think, you know, even before the ammo and the choke tube improvements, I think there was a, a feeling that people, you know, didn't want to shoot the heavy shells if they didn't have to. Um, and with that, there, there's there's kind of two two aspects to that. There, there's one of which is, you know, I don't want to shoot the heavy shells if I don't have to. But the other of which is people are maturing as hunters, right? They're getting more capable. Um, they're knowing their limitations, perhaps, um, and they want to, you know, it's kind of the next level of of experience, if you will, or, or um, uh, I don't want to say it like this, but like the next level of bragging, right? Is is, you know, I can do these things with a 20 gauge or even a 28 gauge or a 410 in some cases. Um, so, you know, I, I think as people mature as hunters, it, it kind of changes, right? And you can probably speak to this even better than I can is that, you know, when you're young, it's, I want to go and get my limit every day, right? I want to pile them up. And then you kind of do that for a certain period of time. And then it, kind of changes into the experiences, right? You want to have the great experiences and then maybe it changes into, um, you know, I don't want to just get a pile. I want to, I want to do it in a particular way, right? I, I want to, I want to shoot a, you know, mallard in timber with a 410, right? Or whatever the experience is that you're going for. I think people just mature, right? And our segment, you know, our hardcore waterfowlers, and let's be honest, they're not getting any younger, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not, there, there's always influxes of new hunters, um, but the, 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 the median age is still pretty high. Um, and, and that, that the, those notions of just, you know, going out and getting a pile every day are starting to get fewer and far between. And people are, are more about the experience and they're more about trying new things and, 
And so I think you always had that kind of mentality brewing and the ammunition and the choke tube development. Suddenly that's a reality, right? You can actually do these things that maybe you've been talking about. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, talking smack in the blind of, oh, I could have shot that goose with a 410, right? But you really couldn't because there wasn't ammo available or the right gun or whatever it may have been. It was just smack talk, right? Well, today that's a possibility, right? You can actually do that. You can go get some TSS and you can, you can kill a goose at, you know, 25 yards or, or whatever it may be. Um, and same with 20 or 28 gauge or whatever the smaller caliber of your preference is. So I think there's always been this mentality and the technology has made it, you know, something that can actually be achieved now. Um, it's pretty, it is pretty magical, right? I mean, I, again, I remember when I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of debate about chokes or ammo. It was, it was, you know, the gun came with an improved cylinder modified in full. I'm going to stick the modified in there. And uh, which brand of steel shot am I going to buy? Right. I mean, that was kind of the end of the decision um, uh, uh, point. Now, you know, there's ammunition availability. I mean, there's, there's literally dozens of different kinds of ammunition that one could use. And there's, entire companies that are built around choke tube technology. I mean, heck for Benelli, last time I did a check, there were over 20 different manufacturers of choke tubes for my products. I mean, they all have different technologies or different claims and, and they're all good products in their own right. Um, obviously, I use only Benelli chokes um, or primarily Benelli chokes, I should say. But yeah, I mean, it, there's an abundance of options and it's, and it's kind of, it allows people to to kind of customize it to what they believe in or what, what they've had good experiences with. And, and it allows them to do things that just weren't possible, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing because you still have to keep the, the, the animal first and foremost, right? The respect for the resource and the compassion for that animal of what it's getting ready to go through once that trigger's pulled, because us, I mean, we might feel it on our shoulder a little bit, but they're getting ready to go through hell in a lot of ways. And I think of it like I want it to end as fast as possible. And as I keep getting more and more into it, I can see that if you do things, you know, in my, the way I th think you should in duck hunting, I'm, I'm using duck hunting as an example and, 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 and hone your skill set to the point to where you can get them close. I don't, I don't want to be shooting at a duck at 40 yards with a 20 gauge science is telling me that you can and that it's going to kill him. But I personally, I'm not there. I still, I still want to get him at 15, 20 yards if I'm going to choose to do that. So I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of like that, that idea of, you know, you can use a lighter gun. It's comfortable. It doesn't feel like much. It's easier to carry on your sling. It's easier to grab off your tree hook or, or whatever, <clears throat> but there's still something about that mentality of, are you really going to kill him dead the way you would with the 12 gauge? I don't know. That's an iffy question. The science is there, right? It's proven that it's happening. No, there is, there is a very real kind of ethical question around, around some of this stuff. And uh, we talk about it all the time. Um, and, you know, that's a really valid point, right? Because w what would be detrimental to, to the sport is people using these, these guns at their maximum limits, right. Or just trying to do it for the sake of doing it. Right. I mean, 
I really hope that the, the folks that are using this stuff are at the higher end of the maturity curve as hunters um, and will know, you know, we'll make the right decisions, right? You, you, yeah, you can kill them with a 20 gauge, but put yourself in a situation where the birds will be close, right? Don't go out there and try and sky bust with a 20 gauge. It's not, that's not for that. I mean, frankly, you shouldn't be doing that regardless, but you, you know, put yourself in a situation where that type of gun or load is appropriate because nobody, I, I would hope nobody listening wants to go out and cripple a bunch of birds, right? That's not the objective. The objective is to put them down, put them down quick um, and, and, you know, be ethical about it. You know, I, I would hate to hear of folks, um, you know, taking a, 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 a 20 gauge Benelli and, and trying to shoot, you know, uh, ducks at 60 yards of a steel shot or something like that. Right. I mean, that would just, that would just break my heart. Um, that's not what it's about. It's not about trying to be that guy. It's about enhancing your experience and, 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 you know, knowing the capable your capability as a shooter and the gun's capability, um, and, and making sure the birds are right before you pull the trigger on them. I mean, it is a concern, right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Um, I like I like that I like that conversation because I think that that's one to where you you I start thinking now like, well, how many Benelli owners, how many Benelli shooters really are connoisseurs of Benelli? Like, do you go and buy? the 828 and the ethos and the super black eagle three even if you're just a duck hunter you get this part your mind starts to go man i like everything they build i want to have the benelli arsenal in my safe right like i want everything they build so now you start thinking well i'm gonna buy the little brother of the super black eagle three so now you have that 20 gauge sitting there the old mentality of that gun was what we just talked about and touched on george was okay when 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 Chad Jr. or Sally's ready to get into the field, that's going to be a perfect gun. Well, now you have guys that are grabbing that gun based on just how badass the gun is. Before you even start putting the science of shot to it, that gun is legit, right? You guys have built another Ferrari in the 20 gauge mode. Okay. You're pushing that envelope. So now you start to think, what about that customer base? Are they buying them just to have them in the safe? Or do they buy them to actually use them? I know that there are collectors, don't get me wrong. But what are they using that 20-gauge for? The better and the more precise and the more proficient they get with that gun, they're going to try to push their envelope just like Benelli does in their design efforts, right? So you start to think like, man, there are going to be people that are going to transfer away from a 12-gauge when it comes to things like a turkey hunt. Or because now you see these kids that are 10 years old smoking turkeys at 40 yards with your 20-gauge. So it's natural shift of when you get to be in the, in, in, let's say my part of my hunting career, it's nice to pick up a light gun once in a while and to be able to feel it. And, and, and don't give me, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. You know how anal I am about the distance of the shots that I call. I don't call shots at anything close to 30 yards, let alone 40 or 50. So I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to kill them with a 20 gauge with everything that's being put into the, to the, the research today. But that's, it's, it's funny when you start mixing in the mentality of the purchaser, the buyer, and then the act, the hunter and like what that 20 gauge is going to be used for. Because when they go to buy it, they don't have a whole lot of experience. I don't think because this whole fascination with the science of shot is only in the last, you know, little bit of uh, in our hunting 
history, right? So they don't have a whole lot of history or results, right, George? So they're buying that gun going, man, I think I'm going to be able to do a lot more with this 20 gauge than my dad got to do with his 20 gauge back in the day, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. And and again, I think it's about picking the right tool for the job, right? Um, you know, 20 gauge will work. Um, but, you know, if, if you're on the X and you know the birds will do it, um, take the 20, call the shot when they're close. Um, if, 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 you know, you're going to be shooting, you know, trading birds um, or, or passing birds, you know, take the three and a half inch, um, you know, don't just make the right decision. Um, certainly the 20 gauge can and will do it. Um, but, you know, as a, as a hunters gain that experience, they need to always be ethical. Um, you know, it, it, it is a concern, right. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's on everyone's responsibility to, you know, take the gun buy the ammo you're going to shoot and do some pattern testing with it, right. Go to the range and understand the limitations of the gun, understand, you know, what that pattern does at 10, 20, 30, 40 yards, right. Understand the velocities of that pattern, you know, and, and, how effective it is at dropping birds, right? And then pick your shots at the end of the day. You know, it, it's so, you know, again, this goes back to that kind of maturity curve of hunters, right? For me at this point, it, it's okay to not pull the trigger. Um, you know, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to see the birds work. I'm happy to, you know, just watch the sunrise. If the birds do it right and I get to pull the trigger, that's, that's a great thing. But I'm happy just being there with my buddies, enjoying the moment. Um, it's it doesn't have to be about you know trying to take shots that that aren't needed. Um, but you know everybody's different. Everybody has to make their own decisions. Um, I would just you know ask folks to to you know 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 the situation, um, you know, and choose the gun that's appropriate for that situation to ensure that you're ethically you know killing birds. Do you really feel that, George? Um... I, I say the same thing, you know, I don't need to pull the trigger. I want to see my daughter do it. And, you know, the old analogy of hunt with them and not for them. I'm not that guy that's going to go out and be like, oh, my God, I got to shoot that turkey for you. That, like, that's that's a weird mentality to ever think that that even happened in the history of the game, right? <clears throat> that a dad or mom would actually grab the gun. And and if, if it wasn't going to be perfect and the kid wasn't going to be able to get it, it wasn't. A, it's never about that, right? So... But do you really feel like that in your psyche, George? Or do you get out there and you see those birds working and you just go straight Beavis and Butthead mode and you're like, oh, <laughs> give me more. Like you do you but do you really feel that mature already, George, in your in your late 30s, early 40s? Or I don't even know how old you are. You might be 31 the way you look right now. But do you, do you, do you really feel like that, George, if you had to put your hand on a Bible and swear under oath in the courtroom of the United States of America? Look, none of us are going to say that that we prefer not shooting birds, right? I mean, shooting birds is better than not shooting birds. But, you know, yeah, for me, it's it's okay if it doesn't work out for you. I mean, that's – they're birds. They're wild animals. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. Um, and when they don't, you know, it's it, – it, the, the, the drop in the birds is just one, of, one piece of the experience. Um, I mean, I'm perfectly fine – going out there with some buddies, you know, talking smack all morning, watching the sunrise, you know, having some coffee, getting breakfast on the way home, whatever it may be. That's the experience that I want. The birds are just a benefit or, or a bonus to that. And if it works out, 
great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Still great. Yeah. I mean, that's just me. I mean, again, everybody's different. Um, but I think as, as, as hunters mature, that's kind of the mindset that they ultimately get to. Um, it's about the experience, not the pile of birds. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think everybody gets there at some point. It, it's exciting, right? You get birds working. If the hairs don't stand up on your neck and you don't get excited, maybe you're doing the wrong thing, right? Maybe you ought to think about fishing or something else. I don't know. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so of course that's exciting. I want to, I want to pull the trigger. I want, I want the birds to do it right. Um, but if it doesn't happen, that's okay. I, I like, I like to think that it's always going to give you that feeling of man, you know, I can't wait to see it again, but it is, it, it does get to me too. Yeah. I've gotten to that point. I should say also that I don't need to know that I killed ducks. Um, but I do enjoy partaking. I really do. I love the idea of the hand from the call, opposite hand to the gun and coming up and saying, get him. I still will never, ever get tired of calling the shot or standing up and shooting. But you are right that you start to find a lot more special moments in each hunt than that actual kill. But that still does not change the fact that you have a 20 gauge there instead of a 12 gauge and you're relying on that to do the things that your 12 gauge consistently did for so many years. I don't know if I've really gotten my point across of the transition in the mindset of a consumer and a hunter. Like does that transition actually occur? Why are they buying that 20 gauge? Why are they? Is it to sit in the safe just in case? Is it for the nephew? If he comes to town on a hunt or are they really thinking in their mind, I'm going to, keep my 12 gauge at home more. I don't know. Do you have any insight on that? Well, <clears throat> I, I think you said something there a minute ago that I, I think you were using to make your point, but that I, I think is relevant to this question. If folks expect this 20 gauge to do everything their 12 gauge did, that's flawed logic, right? That it's not, it is a 20 gauge. It will do everything that a 20 gauge is capable of. If you, if you wanted to do everything your 12 gauge does, you need to kind of take a step back and rethink that, right? Because it's like saying you want your four cylinder to do everything an eight cylinder can do. It's, they're, they're different, right? They have different uses, different applications, different capabilities. Um, so again, you have to understand capabilities of, of the firearm and what it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, if your goal is to accomplish the same as a 12 gauge, that's an invalid question, right? Um, so, um, but to your other question, I think, first of all, I think, um, I think that there are a certain element of our customers that are collectors and, and frankly, God bless them. Uh, I want more collectors. I want people to buy one of everything that we make. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Right. Um, so I think that is one element, right. Or, or, just like, just like folks will buy every size of a Glock pistol, right? Or they'll buy, um, you know, ARs in different calibers, right? I mean, it's, there's a collection aspect to it. And, and that's our right as Americans to, to buy and collect and own these firearms. And, and um, you know, I, I love our Benelli collectors that want of every model, that want one of every model, I should say. Um, but I, I, I think the other part of it um, is, 
is the fact that, you know, you want to have the 20 gauge available if you're going to take someone experienced or younger or smaller frame uh, out hunting to try and give them that experience, to give them a taste of it, to see if, if you can plant a seed and make it grow there, the 20 gauge is a great tool to do that. Um, again, knowing its limitations, of course, um, you know, that was one of the, when, when I bought my first 20 gauge in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, first of all, I really like 20 gauges, so I'm going to want to shoot that. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that'll be a great gun to give my daughters one day. Um, when I'm going to take, you know, at the time they were, you know, toddlers, they weren't ready to go hunting yet. Um, but that was part of my thought process, right. Was, was to have a gun that, that is smaller and, and that a female or a child or, you know, smaller person could use. Um, so I think that's kind of, you have collector, you have, you know, novice youth, smaller frame person, hunter, um, could be a decision, but I think that the last one is, is kind of the bigger one and, and what's driving a lot of the activity. It's the, it's the experienced hunter looking for the next challenge or the next experience. And they've, you know, you, for example, you've done everything that, that somebody could do with a 12 gauge, three and a half inch gun, right? You've done it all, everything, ducks, geese, you know, long range, short range, different chokes, different ammo. You've done it all. Um, so, you know, you want to continue to grow as a hunter, as a person. Uh, so, you know, the 20 gauge is kind of a, another step for you to take, right? To refine your skills, to grow your experience, um, to add more challenge to the hunt, right? And, you know, knowing that you got to make, you know, get the birds that much closer because you have a 20 gauge, suddenly all aspects of the hunt are, are, are kind of revisited, right? They're more important, right? You might take another 20 minutes brushing the blind in, right? Or you might do a little bit more scouting to make sure you're right spot on that X, right? Or you might do a little bit different calling, right? Because you got to get them in closer, right? It's not just close enough. They got to be closer because you have a 20 gauge, right? It's that it's that next level of challenge for somebody that, that has the high experience level. And frankly, that person... Um, is going to be mature enough to know the capability of the gun and probably because by and large our our people are ethical right we we don't just shoot birds for the fun of it um you, you know they're going to make the right decision when it comes to to when to call the shot or when to take the shot so i think you got a couple of different components kind of all working at the same time around 20 gauge guns and one of the new topics i wanted to touch on today george thompson vanilla usa is <clears throat> the pandemic and what came along with it. I'm not going to go into my feelings on it. I just simply want to know this. When you get in a position as a leader in manufacturing, like you guys are, there's no doubt about it. It's 100% the best shotgun made, 100%. Um, but you have all these new hunters and shooters coming into the field. You have dealers that can't get guns. You have manufacturers that can't get raw materials. You have this mindset of, holy shit, we could literally sell M&Ms right now, put M&Ms into a Benelli case and sell it. And people are going to be like, oh, wow. You know, that's, and, and I know that's an exaggeration and you know where I'm going with this. I hope you understand where I'm going with this is QC, quality control. Can the Benelli customer still depend on what's in that little gray or black box when they get it home from the retailer that every precaution was taken in the development and the build out of this gun, even though some of the mentality might be, <coughs> oh, it might be being rushed. 
you know, we got to get them out because we haven't been able to make as many as we want. The customer base is there. The sales are there. And more importantly, the demand is higher than ever in our recent times. What's your, how do you wrap your hand around that? Because I would think that some manufacturers out there might take advantage of that and not really put all of the same detail. Does that sound fair to say? No, it, it does, Chad. And, and actually, I, I didn't know you were going to ask this question, but I'm, I'm pretty glad you did. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, the market uh, for the last 18 months or so has been um, uh, on fire. Uh, people, uh, uh, sales are, are, are very strong for every manufacturer out there. And, and there are opportunities for, you know, it, it, you know, people to take advantage of that um, in whatever way that may be, whether it's through price um, gouging or, you know, uh, reducing the quality of the products to put them into the market. But there's lots of companies that could potentially do that. Um, for us, it's real simple. Uh, for Benelli, it, it's, it's extremely simple because the question, it really goes to the root of what Benelli is built on. Um, Benelli is built on the, the singular core value of reliability. Um, and to get the reliability, you have to have the highest level of quality standards um, in order to make the Benelli products as reliable as they are. So, you, you know, it, it's not even a question for us. Um, we will make as many guns as we can make, um, but we're not changing the standards, right, at all. Zero change. We, we may add another shift. Right. We may operate the plant 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but the standards haven't changed a lick. And at the end of the day, if that means we can go from making, you know, 80 to 100, we're happy with that. Right. That's that's the limitation that, that we have. We're not going to reduce quality or reduce, you know, add another uh, supplier, you know, for cheaper materials or something to go to 105 or 110. Now, that's not what we're going to do. We'll take we'll take the benefits of a of a good market condition, um, but we're going to certainly stay within um, you know our guiding principles, which are quality, reliability, and making the best products out there. We won't do anything besides that ever, um, and and that goes both ways, right? If the market got tough, and um, you know you know eighteen hundred dollar shotguns suddenly weren't selling, we wouldn't cheapen the product in some way to sell it for a thousand dollars. To, to sell more units, right? That's not what our company is all about. Um, we're about making the absolute best product that we can, um, and we'll make more or less of them as the market demands. Um, and, you know, in this situation, market's demanding more than we can manufacture. That's okay. I would just ask that people be patient and trust that um, we're making all we can. If you got a back order out there, we'll fill it. Um, we're producing all models. Um, there's nothing that's that's not being produced. Um, and it will be the same Benelli product that we always manufacture. So if you bought a Super Black Eagle 3 in 2017 when we launched it, the same guns, same quality standards, same processes, same materials, same suppliers is, is in effect today. No change whatsoever. When you start to think about that pandemic again and launching a 
a certain aspect or specification or a brand new product per se, you guys did with the best, the, the best, the B E S T was, um, a coding that we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, the mindset is, man, you, you, every gun you're making is sailing is selling at the, at the retail level to the consumer. Um, did the launch of it hold water with that mentality that no matter what you sell, no matter what you build, we're buying right now. Is it going to take some more time to get the mentality of the best product into the consumer's mind, George, or was it successful to where people have really caught on to it and they're like, oh, that is worth the extra money. That's a badass product, you know, product development as far as keeping the longevity of my shotgun. Uh, it was absolutely a success. Um, in fact, we sold uh, above our capacity and, and had a back order situation. Uh, we still have a back order situation today. Um, you know, there is, uh, I may have said this the last time we spoke, there, there is only one machine in the world that is capable of applying this finish um, to the firearms. Um, that machine is obviously in our factory in Urbino. Um, and, and we maximized the number of guns that could be put through that. Um, we maxed out the capacity. They're, they're presently adding a second machine um, to increase the capacity. Uh, but it was an overwhelming success. And, and I mean, frankly, I, I never anticipated anything else. I mean, I, there were some naysayers out there that said, you know, oh, it's, it's a couple hundred dollars. You know, I don't need that. Camo does just fine. But this was never for the the, the the average hunter, so to speak. This is more for the guy that that um, hunts in all the conditions, um, who's seen his gun uh, rust before his very eyes. You know, hunting in a in a, in a coastal area. Um, you go out in the morning, the gun's cleaned and oiled. You come back in the evening, and it's you know got surface rust all down the barrel. This is the product for that guy, um, and they they saw it. Uh, our message resonated with them, and. Uh, and the, the, it is proven, it's proven itself every day out there. Um, you know, the performance is even better than, than we anticipated from a, from a product perspective, not a sales perspective. Um, I'm not really a sales guy. So at the end of the day, it's just about making sure that how the product performs to me. And the, the coating is legit, man. I mean, it is for rust corrosion, for abrasion resistance, it's even better than what we anticipated. Do you, when you start thinking about the evolution of Benelli, and I understand the the whole, you know, nothing surprises me anymore. Like, right? Like, nothing is going to surprise me. You could say, you know, next might be best in camo. It might be something that that gives that camouflage consumer, you know, that 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 confidence in the next step of of the gun. You guys offer a lot of different camo variations and options right now. Um, I'm sure you're the same that nothing surprises because you're at the, you know, you're at the floor, the ground level of product development. You understand it and you get it and you're privy to it way sooner than any of us are. Obviously bringing me to my next question, which I don't want to take much more of your time, George, because I know you have guns to design. Is there anything that you can tell us that we can look forward to? Are there any secrets that that are that we could become privy to ourselves at the Foul Life Podcast audience? Is there something that's coming that's going to blow our mind? 
Um, specifically for the Duck Hunter, is there anything that's on the docket right now uh, after the launch of the Super Black Eagle 3 20 gauge, which is a badass gun? Can you tell us anything, George Thompson? Well, you know, I can't say anything specific. Um, <laughs> say, <laughs> I can say that, uh, you know, the waterfowl market is our core business, uh, and we will always make sure that it is front and center. Uh, of every product conversation that we're that we have, um, that and we will continue to uh, launch new products uh, and refresh uh, older products within that waterfowl portfolio. Um, so with that, uh, we do have some pretty exciting stuff coming in 22 uh, for our waterfowl um, customer around Super Black Eagle Three. Um, I, if, if folks are hearing this and they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm going to wait and see, don't wait and see because what we're going to have is not going to really change what you may be looking at today. If that, I realize that's cryptic, but um, I think uh, in a few months, folks will understand what that means in retrospect, but we will be doing some cool stuff with Super Black Eagle 3 in, in 2022. Uh, we will be continuing to uh, utilize best finish uh, across the Benelli portfolio and in, in particular on waterfowl guns, because that's the application it's most suited for. Um, and uh, we're working on some new uh, twists to the best finish um, that I think will be very well received. Um, so I gotta be cryptic. I can't give you anything specific, but I, I can say for certain that we've got some stuff that your audience is going to think is very exciting that we're going to roll out in 22. Okay. I'm going to end it with, with the most challenging question in, in uh, George Thompson's uh, shotgun and career. Is there a chance for smaller gauge than 20 being built out for the waterfowl customer um i understand what you guys did with the ethos this year please touch on that a little bit but with this discussion wrapped around small gauges there's even duck clubs out there now that don't allow 12 gauges they some of them don't even allow 20 so where is that going and is there a potential and i know the answer to this is you you'll have to find out but Will there ever be a 410 offered in the Benelli family for for the younger shooter, the guy that wants something, the girl that wants something smaller than a 20 or a 28 gauge? Where is the mindset in Benelli right now, George, with the smaller gauges going into waterfowl applications, the best treatment, left-handed models, hint, hint, things of that nature? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> that's a great question, Chad. Um, so it is a very real trend. Um, you know, people using uh, 20s, 28s, 410s um, for things that were kind of unheard of many years ago. Um, we're watching it. Um, we're very aware of it. Uh, clearly, we're, <clears throat> we're gearing our products uh, to cater to that um, with the new 20 gauge Super Black Eagle 3 being one of them. Uh, you mentioned the ethos. Uh, this year, we, we rolled out uh, some refreshes, if you will, to our sporting uh, and crossover portfolios. Uh, that would be the Super Sport, which is our sporting gun. Uh, we rolled out an ethos configuration for that, and we did that in 12, 20, and 28 gauge. 
Uh, we also rolled out uh, our Cordoba, which is kind of a crossover sporting hunting gun. Um, and we did that in 12, 20 and 28 gauge. That gun uh, happens to have best treatment on it as well. Um, so we see that trend, we're paying attention to it, we're designing products for it. Um, so yeah, it, 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 you know, the 410 is an interesting question. And actually let, let's, I'm sure that when you post these podcasts, you get feedback, right? You get comments and such like that. So here's a question to anybody that's listening. Um, I'm gonna start it with a, with a fact, okay? An inertia operated gun, cannot be designed in 410, at least based on the physics and, and materials available today. Um, a 410 inertia-operated Benelli is not gonna happen. So um, we probably could make it happen if we wanted to, to, to use some kind of rare materials, um, like tungsten, for example, to design the bolt, but that would drive the price of the gun up so high that it probably wouldn't be feasible. So here's the question. Knowing that inertia 410 cannot happen, um, what do the folks listening to this think of a Benelli 410 that would be gas operated? Is that something that's viable? Does that fit with the Benelli brand? I don't know. Um, but we think about it. We talk about it. Uh, it's not in development right at this moment, just to be clear. But I'd be curious what the what the folks listening to your podcast have to say about it. So let's talk about talk about the comments to that question at a later date. Um, so, you know, we can do 28s, obviously. We do 28s in our ethos, um, in uh, Upland models and sporting models and, and the Cordoba model. Um, so uh, maybe that'll happen, I don't know. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna continue to pay attention to the trend. We're gonna listen to the market. We're gonna listen to our customers and, uh, and come out with uh, new products every year. The one thing about Benelli that that I think about a lot are are the stories and the memories that it's provided for me. Not just the gun and being badass, because here's the deal. You can go to Arkansas with another manufacturer, and you could have some success. It's been done for years. There's no secret that there's other gun makers out there. But Benelli is special. Benelli is more than a status symbol. Benelli is more than another dead duck or another dead pheasant or another dead Rio Grande or Miriam's or Eastern Turkey. A Benelli is like, man, that's my, that's, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's my baby. That's guys and girls alike become very attached to Benelli. Sentimental value is very important to me. It's easy to take for granted the quality of somebody or something when it just becomes so abundant or so easy. And <clears throat> like my mentality about Cabela's my whole life, I got the catalog and then you're driving through Nebraska and you saw that big elk, you know, over there it, <clears throat> in Kearney or in, 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 uh, in, uh, now I'm trying to think of the name of the little town where Sydney, Nebraska, um, you go into that store for the first time. You're like, Oh my God. Remember those days? And then all of a sudden they're on every street corner in the world. Then Bass Pro buys them. And then you're like, ah, it's just, it's just Cabela's. Well, with Benelli, I don't want to lose that feeling. And I think a big part of that has to do with the people and the story. And that's what Benelli does. I think Benelli writes stories more so than kills ducks. 
And you and I together have written some awesome stories, whether it was a Vegas night at SHOT Show, the, 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 <laughs> the, place, the places we've hunted, Oklahoma, North Dakota, South Dakota, Arkansas, California, um, Iowa. Where am I missing? I'm missing one. Can't remember where else. But anyway, it continues, George. As we mature, as we get into those years of our life to where maybe the Tony Vandemore, which I get to hunt with Tony this year. I just podcasted with him again last week. Tony's way past piles makes smiles, in my opinion, even though he still makes piles. Dude, the video, the videos he's been doing of his little girls, turkey calling, and the, the reactions and the looks on their faces, you know that even Tony Vandemore is moving into a different level of the game in his mind, right? Where do we go next, George, is my final question to you. What makes George Thompson go, let's write that chapter of the book? You've been to Africa and killed ducks. You've been to all over the world. You've been way more places than I have. You know what? We didn't even mention our trip to Argentina together. We've even been to Argentina. What can you do? Where does it go next? Because it doesn't end. And I don't want to top. You're not going to top any of the ones that I've already named. But you know what I mean? It's like, how special is the next spot going to be? And where I want to end my statement before I let you talk and in this is that COVID really taught me that you, you do miss people. You miss that interaction that Benelli was bringing to me, right? I didn't get to see George. I didn't get to go to, to Akakik and go to the office. I didn't, I didn't, we were going to Italy last year to visit the factory. We didn't get to do that. You start to take things for granted in life, George. I hope this question makes sense. But what can we do? You guys are already on to the next product development. Where's the next development in our mind to keep our juices going, to keep our blood flowing? What do you do? You know what I'm saying? It's like, are you thinking about that at all? Yeah. You, you know, I, the last 18 months, two years, <clears throat> travel's been sparse, to say the least. Um, but, you know, I don't know if this will answer the question or not, but for me, and I'm sure some of the folks listening are probably going to say, well, it's easy for me to say, but for me, it's not about where you go. It's about what you do and who you're with. Um, and so when you talk about the next experience for me, it's not, there's no place that I, I have this strong desire that I have to go to. There are people that I want to see, right? There's experiences that I want to have, but they don't really have to happen anywhere. They or, or let me phrase that another way. They can happen anywhere. They don't have to be anywhere specific. So I just want to get back out in a, in a duck blind with, with some of my buddies and, and you and, and other industry folks that I know and, and just kind of get those relationships back on track, right? I mean, it's been so weird having to do everything over the phone, video for so long. You know, I just want to get back with the people, man. And uh, whether we're shooting, you know, mallards in the southeast or, or, or whether we're you know, shooting rosy bills down in Argentina or Canada's up in Saskatchewan. I really don't care. And I don't want that to sound like, I don't know, piffy or something, but um, I just want to get back with the people and, and have the experiences. I, it doesn't matter where to me or what. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's what's most important to me um, is, is, is getting back with, with the folks that, that I miss and, and the relationships and the good people that I've had the, the, the pleasure, the, um, the, 
uh, you know, opportunity to meet over the years. It's been pretty tough being so isolated over the last 18 months. Yep. That's exactly where I was going with it. And I just think that there's common denominators in this life. Everything to me relates back to the mallard duck. Okay. Like I can say, Oh, I, you know, you and I have a mutual friend in Zach Brown. Oh, we got to go to a Zach Brown concert and we went backstage at Wrigley field in Chicago. George Thompson and I were at Wrigley field in Chicago for Zach Brown. And then after we went and watched on his bus, we went and watched the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight. Like you don't just make that kind of shit up. That's because of a Mallard duck. That Mallard duck brought me together with George Thompson, brought me together with Zach Brown, brought us all together in Chicago for a day at Wrigley. And think about that mentality. It's because of a Mallard duck. I would have never met you if I didn't go, Oh my God, that Mallard duck just absolutely controls me. Now he just brought me under his wing. You know, it's like everything relates back to the Mallard duck in my life. And the friendships that you start to miss them, man, you start to miss them. And I'm not, I'm going to end this podcast by saying this, I miss the mallard duck. I want to go mallard duck hunting. And that's what we're going to concentrate on George as we end this podcast is a mallard duck shoot somewhere where we haven't been yet. And we're going to do it with some people that we, ha- we miss. We haven't seen in a while. And we're going to get back to the Traegers, the campfires, the guitars, the singing, the cold beer, the scouting, the dogs, the boats, the UTVs, Mr. Billy's biscuits and gravy. We're going to get back to the things that matter in life because I took it for granted that man, I, I get to go to Canada every year and I get to stay up there for 21 days and I get to, go to this lodge and I get the red carpet rolled out for me. And then all of a sudden, poof, you're not coming to Canada. And it taught me, what if, what if somebody messed with our, our privilege and culture of being a hunter, outdoorsman, conservationist provider? What if they did? It happened. It just got taken away from us in Canada. There was turkey seasons being canceled in spring of 2020 in Kentucky, Nebraska, Minnesota, where non-residents could not partake. Um, what if that's what I think about? I want to get as much into this life as I can. And because of Mallard Ducks and Benelli, my friendships with you guys like you in the industry, we're so blessed because there's not a better way to live life, George, than to be able to bring our kids up in this environment, in this culture, and to see the things that you and I may or may have not begin to take for granted. And I don't want to take it for granted anymore. If that makes sense. It does hundred percent. You the man, George Thompson. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode, again, obviously was brought to you by Benelli. Benelli USA, simply perfect. Check out the new Super Black Eagle 320 gauge. I can't wait for it to be in left-handed. Lots of cool stuff on the horizon for Benelli. You can check all of their stuff out online. You can see them on Instagram and Facebook. You can see them all over the Foul Life's Facebook. And don't forget... Brand new episode, season 13, George, can you believe it? Season 13 of the of Benelli's The Foul Life begins July 2nd exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We got some wild stories for you, and it will show you the power of hunting. And I'm not just talking about pulling the trigger on my inertia-driven Benelli shotguns. I'm talking about people that have been giving 
two months to live and they're on their last hunt. I'm talking about brand new hunters coming into the space. I'm talking about botulism and ducks and conservation and science and what we need to be thinking of as hunters, because this is not guaranteed for the next generations. And we need to work our butts off to ensure that this is not an entitlement. This is a privilege to be a hunter. Companies like Benelli are working relentlessly to spread that word. Thank you all for listening to the Fowl Life podcast. Thank you for the downloads, the subscriptions. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This song is called My Fowl Life by the band 2AM Logic. Yeah, my-